Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. straight into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before beginning the study because we want to acknowledge you. We want to thank you, Father. We just praise you for this ancient truth that we have access to so that we can understand what is happening in our modern world. We praise you, Father, that, that your word is truth and the scripture cannot be broken. And we just thank you, God, for putting the desire in our hearts to want to hunger, to thirst, to, uh, to uncover the truths that are in your word. We praise you, Father, and as always, we ask that you'll bless our study, that you'll deepen our understanding and deepen our faith. We praise you. We ask these blessings, Lord, in the name of our Savior, our soon-coming King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned, we are up to Isaiah chapter 60, and just before getting into the chapter, What I'd like to do is just go back and just pick up a couple of verses from last week. So last week what we saw, what we were privy to, is just the, the wickedness within the nations of Israel. So there's no doubt Israel is a wicked people. And we just saw how wicked and even some of the occultic ritual practices of just sacrificing human beings and it's, it's just horrible. And as I mentioned last week, these things I would have taken as metaphorical had I not done some research and understand just what is happening uh, with the elite and what they're involved in in the nations of Israel. And then, you know, the scripture makes it clear that God's hand is not shortened. And so while Israel is in this crisis and they're crying out for God's help, he's not helping them. 
And again, it's not because he can't, it's because their sins have separated him from them. And then the passage ends with these verses where we read that despite the wickedness in Israel, that there are going to, there's going to be this wholesale repentance. That what God is doing is he has an agenda, he has a plan, he has a playbook to drive Israel and Judah to a wholehearted repentance. Not, not hypocritical repentance, not ritualistic religiosity, but a very true and profound repentance and appreciation for their God. And so this passage that highlights the wickedness of Israel then ends by saying, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob. And this is in the context of cry aloud and spare not, and show my people their sins. And so someone is taking the words of the ancient prophets and bringing them to life and broadcasting them throughout the nations of Israel and showing Jacob, the house of Jacob, their sins. And then we read that within the house of Jacob, there will be those that turn from their transgression. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from their transgression in Jacob. And he says he's going to gather them from the four corners of the earth and bring them to the promised land, says the Lord. And then he says, as for me, so God is making his position clear. So we still understand the wickedness in Israel, that there will be repentance in Israel. And God is saying, like, let's just make the record clear. So let the record show that my position has never changed. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, and now we're looking at you being Zion, being the house of Israel, the repentant people that God will pour his spirit out on. And we saw the prophecy in Joel when we looked at this last week. But my spirit that is upon you and my words, which I have put in your mouth. So again, we'd have to look at Joel to understand that God is going to pour out his spirit and they're going to prophesy God's words in this time. And he says, my words, which I've put in your mouth, shall not so when this happens god is saying look here's here's my position in all of this and here's my covenant with these people that when i come and i redeem them and i pour my spirit out on them and they begin to speak my words from that point forward he says these words that i put in their mouth shall not depart out of your mouth nor out of the mouth of your seed nor out of the mouth of your seed seed says the lord from now on and forever so something has happened to Israel where unlike uh, um, Exodus 19 where we see um, previously in the Torah where they acknowledge that God is God, that yes, he's spoken to Moses and we've received his words, these are the words of God and they say that all that the Lord has done we will do and then they proceed to do the exact opposite. Them and their children and their children's children to the point where we read in Isaiah that uh, their, the, the, their, the mother Israel, the symbolism of the, the Israel, the mother is a harlot, she's a whore. And uh, her children can't help but do wrong because it's wired into their DNA. So the fact that they come from a whore and they are full of idolatry is no surprise to God. He's just saying, this is, this is how you're wired. And now they're going to be rewired to the point where when they begin to speak God's words, from this point forward, this, this word of God, where they become the priests of God, this word of God will never, ever, ever depart from them. Now, in this 
context or this understanding, this, this uh, uh, eventuality, we who are understanding God's word and God's plan, from the very beginning, when we first looked at Isaiah, second Isaiah, we see this instruction. Comfort you. Comfort you, my people, says your God. So someone who understands who God is, God is telling us to comfort his people. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. So in one strain, we hear God saying, cry aloud and spare not and show the people their, their sins. And then the book begins by saying, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. So there's a staging of the messaging. There's this initial cry aloud. There's this initial uh, watchman work where we are watching the sword come upon the land. We know why the sword is coming upon the land. And we are warning the people of Israel about their sins and calling them to repentance. And, and then there's this, the sword actually begins, the slaughter begins. And people are responding now, understanding, putting everything in context. And they're responding to the call to repentance. And at this time, when God finally drives Israel and Judah to this true, wholehearted repentance, now we can speak comfortably to Jerusalem. And now we can cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that, that the thing that, that God was driving or, or, or using, this tool of warfare that God was using to drive her to repentance, he's achieved it. And so now we can tell her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So with that backdrop then, that um, Isaiah 59 shows us the wickedness in Israel, but it also shows us the redemption that will come to Israel. And then with the whole second Isaiah begins instructing us to speak comfortable words to the people of Judah, and by extension the people of Israel. But at the same time, we're to cry aloud and spare not and show them their sins. So we have to put all of this together. And there's an actual sequence that we're, that we're understanding and following according to the scriptures. So now we come to Isaiah 60, where it becomes very, very clear to us that her warfare, in fact, is accomplished. And that now she is going to enjoy the peace that comes from God and, and, and enjoy the relationship that she can actually have with God. And so now we see, beginning in Isaiah 60, this shift where now that the Redeemer has come, Isaiah 60 begins with, Arise, shine, for your light is come. And the glory of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So, so now you can rise, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. So, so there's, there's this contrast between the light that's going to come upon Israel. And while this light is coming upon Israel, and Israel can now arise and come into her glory, at the very same time, darkness is covering the earth. The day of the Lord is good news for Zion. The day of the Lord is good news for Israel. It is horrible news for the Gentile nations. Horrible news for the Gentile nations. And so there's this going to be this contrast of fates. 
while Israel can arise and, and God's glory is upon them, here we see, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. So this is a time of gross darkness covering the people. And God says, or, or Isaiah writes, for behold, <clears throat> the darkness shall cover the earth. And that kind of puts us in mind of Egypt as we're coming up to Passover now. We, we should be very mindful of Egypt. And he says, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Remember the, the plague of darkness to drive Pharaoh to humility to release his people. And God says, The darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon you. So again, we see this, this beauty, uh, beautiful situation for Zion where God's glory will arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. Now this darkness, we should be familiar with it. It's something that the Lord warned us about. He says immediately after the tribulation of those days, so the tribulation is Satan's anger, Satan unleashed. And then when Satan has run his course, then God acts. So immediately after Satan does everything Satan is going to do, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened. This is the sign that God is now acting. Now the Lord is going to move to save his people. So immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened. This is the darkness that Isaiah speaks of. That great darkness is going to cover the people, but God's light is going to arise upon Israel. The darkness, the, soon will, the sun will be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. <clears throat> He says, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Same thing that we saw when we were studying the book of uh, Revelation. We saw the exact same prophecy where he says, and I beheld and when he had opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So there is this real contrast between what the people of God are experiencing and what the Gentile nations are going to experience. It's the same way it was in ancient, Israel, in ancient Egypt, where God drew a dividing line between the people of Egypt and his people. And it became very clear who his people were, because they were not subject to these curses. And so here there's going to be this dividing line. When he opens the sixth seal, there's a great earthquake and the sun becomes black as sackcloth of hair and the moon becomes as blood. So just keep that in mind that Isaiah is seeing and speaking to the exact same thing. Remember, Isaiah has the full breadth of the unfolding of God's prophecy. So beginning, uh, carrying on in Isaiah 60, verse 3, he says, And the Gentiles shall come to your light. So the whole world is in darkness. The sun no longer shines. The world is in darkness, great darkness upon the people. And yet, God's light is upon Zion. And God's light is upon Israel. And so, very clearly, it becomes obvious to the people where God is. And who God is. And that whatever they were worshipping was a false god. And they were, they were deceived into lies. And so now they know where the light is. And so the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So arise a, a and, and shine and, and great powerful kings of the earth 
are going to acknowledge you and they're going to come to the brightness of your rising. And this is just, you know, you think of the sun rising, as it rises, excuse me, as it rises, it doesn't rise in full power. It rises to full power. And so this nation now is, is, is rising and it doesn't rise in full power. It is rising to full power. He says, lift up your eyes round about and see. Look, look, take a look at this. All they gather themselves together, they come to you. They're coming to you. They gather themselves together and they come to you. This, this is a very clearly what we would call a, a must-attend event. That, that suddenly everyone's clear on where God is working and where they have to be. This is a must-attend event. They're coming to you. And, and God is saying to his people, look, take a look. You, you who were cursed, you who were being subjugated, you who were being enslaved, you who were being uh, humiliated and slaughtered, look now. And look how all these people all around the world are gathering themselves together and they're coming to you. Your sons shall come from far, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. So the reason your sons are coming from far is they've been taken to faraway lands because you've been cursed. They've been taken captive and enslaved and shipped to faraway lands. And now God is coming to act to save you, and your sons are coming from far. And your daughters will be nursed at your side. So there's going to be this acknowledgement of you are the holy people. And there's going to be this attitude in the earth of, is there anything we can do to help you? How can we be blessed by helping you? And so your daughters will be nursed at your side. Back in chapter 11 of Isaiah, God says, and he shall set up an ensign for the nation. So there'll be this standard. There'll be this very clear flag that God is going to make it clear. I am here. And so the nations will all see Yahweh is in Zion. Yahweh is in Israel, is in Judah. And so the, the nations will know this is where we are to go. And, and I shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So this is what's going to be happening now. That when God acts, part of his acting is to gather his people from the four corners of the earth and bring them back to the promised land. So he says here... <clears throat> Uh, sorry, this is really, no, we need to go back to understand. So when they're gathering the people, and he says he's going to put this, this ensign. Uh, I think he's going to make it clear where the tribes are. So there'll be 12 tribes uh, in Israel. And here in Deuteronomy 32, we read this scripture before, but let's read it again in the context of all these people coming to the promised land. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8, he says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of, of the children of Israel. Why would he do that? Unless there's some sort of an assignment of these various peoples to the nations of Israel. That all of these people will come to the people of Israel, but it will not just be haphazard. It's like, okay, you belong to the tribe of Gad. You need to go to the tribe of Issachar. You need to go to the tribe of Judah. And so it looks like all of the Gentile peoples are actually assigned to different tribes of Israel as Israel is set up as the kingdom of priests. Now, the gathering back of Israel, 
so that they can be in the land, so that when the nations come to them, they are in fact there. This is the fundamental prophecy in, from Moses in Deuteronomy 30, that God says, when you return unto the Lord, or sorry, Moses is writing, and God says, when you return unto the Lord your God, and you obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, so someone is crying aloud and showing these people their sins and they're coming to repentance so that they finally do obey his voice according to everything that Moses commanded them, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. This is what God is looking for from them. And this is why this warfare is upon Judah and Israel. Because God wants them to come to a wholehearted, not a hypocritical, but a wholehearted repentance, them and their children. So when they turn to him with all their heart and with all their soul, that then the Lord your God will end your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return. And notice, notice what Moses writes, that at this time when you fully repent properly and wholeheartedly, at this time the Lord your God will gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So the reason they're going to bring their sons from afar is the Lord their God caused their sons to be scattered. And now in this wholehearted repentance, he's bringing them back. And then the nations are going to come and the nations are going to be assigned to particular tribes of the people of Israel. So let's just quickly see this gathering. Uh, this is not a, you know, this, is, this is like a fundamental theme in God's prophecies. He says in, in chapter 43 of Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. In 54 verse 7 he says, For a small moment, just for a fraction of time, have I forsaken you. But with great mercies will I gather you. And we could go to m many more scriptures that show that it's always been in God's mind from, from Moses' prophecy. It's always been in God's mind to gather his, to scatter his people, to punish them, to drive them to true repentance, and then to gather them back. And that's what we're seeing here in Isaiah 60. He says now in verse 5, Then shall you see and, and flow together. He says, And your heart shall fear. You're going to be mesmerized. You're going to be amazed and be enlarged. Why? Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. And that symbolism we saw in the book of Revelation, where the sea always represents the Gentile peoples, and the land represents God's people. And so when the beast rises from the sea, it's clearly a Gentile beast. And so he says, you're going to be, you're going to be your mind is going to be blown away. Why? Because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. It's going to be converted. It's going to be handed over to you. And the forces of the Gentiles shall come to you, he says. So very clearly, something has happened where the, the, the wealth of the Gentile nations, that they have been hoarding and gathering and, and having great power, all of a sudden, they're going to be happy to bring that wealth to the people of Israel. And, and, and that, and, and, and um, excuse me, Jeremiah, Isaiah explains why. Why are they going to do this? He says, the multitude of camels shall cover you. So think of a caravan and think of Arabs. Arabs deal in camels. And a lot of their economy depends on these caravans 
and, and going through the desert and uh, the camels are particularly suited for this. And so think Arabs and think of the wealth of these caravans. And so the multitude of camels shall cover you. And the dromedaries or camels of Midian and Ephah. So who are Midian and Ephah? We'll find out in a moment. Again, these are Arabs. All they from Sheba. This is uh, North Africa. So we're dealing with the Middle East and North Africa, these nations, all of which are Muslim nations. So Muslims, as much as they hate the Jew today, Isaiah is saying, don't worry, they're going to love you tomorrow. All they from Sheba shall come, all of them. They shall bring gold and incense. And why are they bringing all of this wealth to the people of God? Because they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. They are, they, the, the deception has been lifted. The veil has been lifted. They can now see very clearly who the God of the universe is and that in fact he is the Holy One of Israel. And so now they acknowledge Israel and they're bringing all this wealth in, in an offertory praise. And they're going to show forth the praises of the Lord. Now, in terms of the identity of these people, uh, Midian, we know, uh, is Arab. And he says, the sons of Midian are Ephah. So Ephah is one of the sons, the firstborn son of Israel. All these were the children of Keturah. So Keturah, remember, was the wife of Abraham. And so people think Arabs, Ishmael. Ishmael is just one of the tribes. So um, Abraham went on to have more children with Keturah. These also populate the Arab nations. And so Midian and then his son Ephah are children of Keturah and Arab tribes. And then we see the sons of Cush. And Sheba is one of the sons of Cush. And this is uh, someone who has uh, populated the Ethiopia-Sudan region. And uh, so that's Sheba. So Middle East, North Africa. And, and all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered unto you. The rams of Nebaoth Nebaoth shall minister unto you. So who are these now? They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar. So they'll be accepted. And I will glorify the house of my glory. So clearly, this, this is a turnaround. This is not just random nations being mentioned. These nations are being mentioned because of their intense hatred and persecution and destruction of God's people. And now God comes to act, and there's a 180. There's a, there's a repentance in these people. Once Israel repents and Judah repents, then God drives the Gentile nations to repent. Prior to that, he's using these very nations to drive Israel to repentance and to drive Judah to repentance. In Genesis 25, 13, we realize that these two nations, Nebaioth and Kedar, are in fact sons of Ishmael. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebaioth and Kedar. Adbil and Mibsam. So we can see Nebaioth and Kedar are children of Ishmael. Again, these are Arabs, these are Muslims, and these Muslims are now acknowledging that God is the Holy One in Israel, and that Judah's God, Zion's God, is God. Continuing in Isaiah 60 and verse 8, where we read now, He says here, Who are these that fly as a cloud, 
and as the doves to their windows. So, so we've just saw these Muslim nations that are coming to Israel, coming to Judah, bringing incredible amounts of wealth to worship the true God and to come and worship him through the kingdom of priests. They're coming to the priests to bring their offerings and, and worship to God. And then Isaiah is asking now, well, who are these other ones now? That are, they're, they're in a great hurry and they're coming like a cloud, flying like a cloud and flying the way doves come to windows. Who are these? And so he answers now in verse 9. Surely the isles or the coastlands shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first. So what we see here is, first of all, uh, the Middle East and North Africa, that all of these nations which have become Islamic and, and the doctrine of Islam, Quran, the Hadith, the, the, the Sunnah, the Sirah, this, this um, penetrates their thinking and drives them to an extreme deep hatred of Judah. So they completely surround the Promised Land with this intense hatred and, and instruction and imperative to destroy the people of Judah. God is actually using that to drive these people to repentance. And then, then Isaiah says, well, who are these other ones that are coming in great urgency, uh, like, a, like a dove to the window and, and, and flying like clouds? And Tarshish is understood to be Spain. And Spain was once under Islamic control. And according to Sharia, any land, including Jerusalem, any land that comes under Muslim control, if they lose control of that land, it is a command, it is imperative, a command from Muhammad that they must retake that land. So Jerusalem is on the agenda and according to Sharia law, it must be taken back. And so is Spain. Spain managed to drive Islam out of the country. It took 700 years of intense fighting in the Spanish Inquisition, but they finally drove Islam out of Spain. So now that Islam is coming back, it's, it's being resurrected, it's rising again, Spain is on the hit list. And so here, what Isaiah is showing us is that Spain will in fact fall again to Islam. And that now, these Muslims that are controlling Spain, they're in a hurry to cross the, the Mediterranean Sea and to get to Judah, to come to Judah, and to bring their offerings as well. So he says, Surely the isle shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your sons from far. So your sons have been taken and they've been enslaved there, and now they're in a rush to bring them back. To bring your sons from far, their silver and their gold with them. So they're bringing your sons, and they're bringing silver and gold offerings with them. Unto the name of the Lord your God, and to the Holy One of Israel. Why? Because he has glorified you. So that this, this confusion is completely resolved. He has glorified you. And, and, and God has just been, been so abundantly clear to them as to who the true God is. And the true God is the Holy One of Israel. And they, there's no confusion now. There's no question. And, and God has put his light on these people. And they are now rising like the morning sun. And the whole earth in darkness is now acknowledging that this, in fact, is the source of light. And God is, in fact, the true God. Now, when God says he's glorified Israel, there's a reason why. And we go back to Exodus 19. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, and we have to combine this with Deuteronomy 30, 
where in fact they do come to repentance, that they do obey his voice. But when you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And finally, we're seeing this come to pass in Isaiah's prophecy of when Christ returns. And he establishes himself in Zion and he glorifies his people. And the reason he's glorifying his people is they're going to be a peculiar treasure unto him. And he says, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. So you see all these nations bringing great wealth to these people because these people are now the priests of the Lord. And so that was the promise of God that they in fact would be a kingdom of priests. Let me just fix one thing here while I'm on this. No, I won't be able to fix it now. I'll, I'll leave that for now. Um, yes, so let me just go back to this. So they're going to be this kingdom of priests. Now, this is what the disciples of Christ, the, the first Christians, fully understood. And the apostles asked, he says here in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So they understood the agenda and they understood God's plan to restore the kingdom to Israel. So they were wondering, okay, we're going to stay in Jerusalem. We're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Is this the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? And God said, no. It's not for you to know, but you go and you be my witnesses. But that is the plan, is to restore the kingdom to Israel. And now this is what we're seeing. Isaiah is telling us that these people of Israel will be gathered from the four corners, they'll be put in the promised land, and the whole earth is going to see them as the priests of the Lord. And they're going to come with their offerings, they're going to return their children that they had taken captive, they're going to treat them with great honor, and this is going to, these people are going to be a peculiar treasure to God, and they're going to be above all the people of the earth. They're going to be the head nation of the earth. Back to Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 10. <clears throat> and the sons of the strangers shall build up your walls. The strangers are the Gentiles, and they are the, the foreigner. They, basically, these are the Muslims. The very people that destroyed you are now going to come and build you. The sons of the stranger shall... So there's this conflict that the, the, the earth culminates in this conflict between uh, Ishmael and Isaac and between Esau and Jacob. And that's what the whole world is being polarized. They don't realize it yet, but they're being polarized into these two camps. And so when Christ returns, there are people who are following the beast... And that is they've gone over in the Ishmael and Esau camp. And then there are people who are following the true God. And that is they acknowledge that God is the God of Israel. And this is why the name of Israel is going to be so hated in the end time. Because Ishmael and Esau are going to have the upper hand. And they, they, they want to destroy that name. They want to completely stamp it out. Excuse me. And now these very same people are coming and building up your walls. And their kings shall serve you. So these mighty kings are going to come and minister unto you. For in, and God explains why. For in my wrath, I struck you with these people, these Chaldeans, the, the Assyrian, 
the Babylonians, that I used these people to strike you because I was angry with you, but in my favor have I had mercy on you. And so now these very people are coming to serve you because that's God's favor. Therefore, your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto you the wealth of the Gentiles and that their kings may be brought. So this is just going to be this ongoing flow of blessings and wealth to these people. And so day and night, this is what's going to be happening. And then he says this, listen to this. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. So this is the the, uh, rod of iron that God is going to rule with. And he's not playing. And, and there is such a hatred for these people that when God comes to save them, to glorify them, the residual hangover of this hatred, it's still there in some. And God's making it clear, if you do not serve these people, I personally will destroy you. That's the message that's going to go out to the whole earth. Repent and come and bow to my kingdom of priests. And you can, the only way you can honor me is through these people. And so if you do not come and serve these people, I personally will destroy you. You will perish. This is what Isaiah says. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Yes, those nations shall be utterly wasted. God is not joking. This is real. So whatever hatred they've had, which has been a perpetual hatred, it's a hatred that goes all the way back in time. From Genesis and comes all the way forward to Revelation and it's so wired into their DNA that if they cannot repent God is saying and he says it twice they'll perish and they'll be utterly wasted and this is exactly what Zechariah and we you know we, every feast I'm sure every feast of tabernacles we quote Zechariah and this is exactly what he saw he's, he's repeating what Isaiah says and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, which, which nations, which came against Jerusalem, all these nations that hate Jerusalem, that have been trying to destroy Jerusalem, that believe that Jerusalem should not be a nation, God is saying it shall come to pass that everyone that's left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, so God is going to act and he's going to fight against these nations, there's going to be death everywhere, but there are going to be survivors that live over into the millennium. And then God is saying, of everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to do what? To worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So these nations that hate Judah, that believe that the nation of Israel should not exist, that every Jew should be destroyed, now they're going to come and bow at the feet of the Jews, And they're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. They're going to keep the holy days that have been revealed to the Jews. And the Jews will operate as God's kingdom of priests. So every year, they're going to come and they're going to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And Zechariah says, And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem. He's not joking. There's only one place. You can't come anywhere else. God is in Jerusalem, and you must come to Jerusalem, to his kingdom of priests, to worship there. And anybody who does not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, 
even upon them shall be no rain. In other words, they will die a slow, agonizing death. They will starve to death, they will dehydrate, their animals will die, and it's going to be very ugly and painful destruction unless they acknowledge that God is in fact the Holy One of Israel. He says, and if the family of Egypt, he, he identifies Egypt specifically, and, and I think that's just a symbol of all of these nations now, Egypt is a Muslim country. And the way Islam is programmed, there is, Islam, between now and the return of Christ, Egypt will not be anything else other than Islamic. In fact, over time, these nations are becoming more and more Islamic. That where they used to have, they used to be Christian nations. Egypt, in fact, was the, the capital of Christianity, Alexandria. Where these used to be Christian nations, Turkey, all the churches uh, in Revelation were in Asia Minor, which is now today called Turkey. Uh, all these nations uh, have tremendous Christian influence. Uh, they are now Islamic. And maybe there's maybe 5% Christians left, 2% Christians left. By the, time Christian, by the time Christ returns, there'll be no Christians in these nations. And so Egypt will be 100% Islamic. And if these Muslims, if the family of Egypt, these Muslims, go not up and come not, that have no rain. So God is withholding the rain from them because of their, their hatred for Judah. And they just cannot bring themselves to come and worship at the feet of Judah. If they do not come and now they have no rain, then on top of the no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. God is not joking. He has destined these people to be the head nation. And now, after driving them to repentance, he's now coming to glorify them. And if people do not acknowledge this, uh, the whole world will conform to God's will, or they will be destroyed. He says here in verse 13, The glory of Lebanon shall come up unto you. Shall come unto you. Lebanon used to be a Christian nation. And then Muslims started to infiltrate the nation and they thought they would cooperate with the Muslims and share political power with them. And now Le Lebanon is a Muslim country. And the Christians are being, I was going to show you an article, the Christians are being hunted down, persecuted and slaughtered. And so by the time Christ returns, Leban Lebanon will be 100% Islamic. And the glory of Lebanon, all the wealth in Lebanon is going to come to you. So the, the God is going to make the record clear who he is and who his people are. And the rest of the world is going to repent. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto you. The fir tree, the pine tree, uh, Lebanon is known for its trees, and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I believe these trees were actually shipped to Solomon when he was uh, in his great building project. And I will make the place of your feet glorious. This is what God is going to do for his people. That the world is, the, the, the world is not, the earth is not right, until God sets it right. And, and it's not right until his people are acknowledged as a kingdom of priests. And when they're acknowledged as the kingdom of priests, then the whole world can live in righteousness because the people should seek the law at the mouth of the priests. Notice this, verse 14. The sons also of them that afflicted you. So, so clearly God is making it clear that he's turning around the hostility. He's turning around the affliction. 
So he makes it very clear here that there are those that have afflicted you, and now even their sons of those that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. This is what God is doing. He's, he's taking this hatred to drive his people to a true wholehearted repentance. When they come to a true wholehearted repentance, he will return, he will fight for them, he'll gather them from the four corners of the earth, he'll establish them in Zion, and then the whole earth is going to acknowledge that these are the people of God. And then Isaiah says, the sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. That, that's what's going to happen. Isaiah makes it very clear that these people who afflicted you are going to come bending the knee to you. And he says, and they and all they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So today they're shouting Allahu Akbar and, and Zionist pigs and, and all kinds of things. And, and from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, which means we must completely obliterate the, the nation of Israel, which is the tribe of Judah or part of the tribe of Judah today. And whatever the hatred that's spewing out of their mouth today, Isaiah is saying that's going to be totally reversed. And instead, they're going to call these, the, the, the Jerusalem the city of the Lord. And they're going to call it the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So they are fully acknowledging now. It's just very similar to what happened in ancient Israel with the people of, the, of Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and how they had to acknowledge which God is the true God. This is what God is going to be doing now. And he says, Whereas... You have been forsaken and hated. Absolutely, no doubt about that. We know today, we see this anti-Semitism uh, rearing its ugly head again. And uh, that, that is definitely going to intensify to the point where when Christ returns, that's all we're going to see is a world full of the hatred of the name of Israel. And anybody who stands for the name of Israel being persecuted. And God is now saying to his people, you know, in, in the past, where you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through you, nobody, like, even you're, again, you're seeing it today as the anti-Semitism is rising, people are tolerating it. It's not so bad. Uh, and again, as these leftist socialist governments, these postmodern uh, elites are, are trying to advance their agenda, they're actually using the Muslim peoples to help destroy the name of Israel and, and introduce anti-Semitism and support it. And so this is going to be a global phenomenon, the hatred of the Jew and the hatred of the name of Israel. And whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no man went through you, you were just completely like nobody wants anything to do with you. I'm going to make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. So God will be glorified in Israel forever and ever and ever. For eternity, the name of Israel will be known. And for eternity, God will be glorified in Israel. And so he's going to make these people an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. And he says here, you shall suck the milk of the Gentiles. And again, just think what we said earlier, where we said that the sun, when it rises, it doesn't rise into its full strength. It comes into its full strength. And so God is establishing this nation 
but it doesn't establish them in their full strength. And so it, while they're in their infancy, Isaiah says, you shall suck the milk of the Gentiles. And he says, and shall suck the breast of kings. So this nourishment, all this wealth that they're bringing, it's going to nourish this nation and make it stronger. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. God wants them to know this. He wants them to know that all of this has been orchestrated. And he truly is in a covenant relationship with them. And he truly is their God. And they're going to come and just realize like, wow, our God is the God of Israel, is the God of the universe. And then the whole earth is going to acknowledge this. But first they have to acknowledge it. And then the whole earth is going to acknowledge it. That God is their Savior and their Redeemer. And people just think, Jesus Christ, oh, he's so nice. And he died for everybody. And the whole world is going to be saved. And this is just, uh, it's not from the Bible. You have to read the Bible a bit more carefully. And yes, the whole world will have the opportunity to be saved. But that salvation is, is in order, each in his own order. And the people of God are going to be established first. And when they are established, they'll be established as an earthly kingdom of priests. And then the rest of the earth will have a people to come to, to learn about God. The same way that we today are human beings, we have the Holy Spirit. As a result of having the Holy Spirit, we can read the scriptures, we can understand them over time. We gain an understanding that we can then teach others. But we're human with the Holy Spirit. Well, in the same way, in the millennium, we're going to have human people who have the Holy Spirit, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have a great desire to know God and to live by God's word and will be able to teach it to others. And this is how the world will come to salvation. It's not just this simplistic, oh, isn't it nice to know the Lord, live forever in heaven. There's the God is very specific and, and means every word that he speaks. So God is the Savior and the Redeemer of Jacob. And he's the mighty one of Jacob, meaning he's going to fight for Jacob. And then he says this. He says, for, for, for brass, and he makes it very, very clear, his, his blessing on these people. He says, for brass, I will bring gold. And for iron, I will bring silver. And for wood, brass. And for stones, iron. So very clearly, there's an upgrade taking place. That, that however Jerusalem was, when Christ comes, he's going to upgrade it. And so brass is going to be upgraded to gold. Iron is going to be upgraded to silver. Wood is going to be upgraded to brass. Stones are going to be upgraded to iron. So everything gets upgraded. And this is going to be a glorious, glorious city that when people come to it, they're going to realize like, wow, God is here. He says also, I will also make your officers or your overseers peace and your exactors righteousness. So these people have just come through a, a period of intense persecution where their overseers have been brutal and their exactors have been warlike. And now God's saying, I'm going to change all that. And your overseers are going to be peace. And those that are your, your oppressors, they're actually going to be, so that's going to be righteousness. Everything is about leading you to peace and righteousness so that you can lead the rest of the world to peace and righteousness. 
verse 18 he says in verse 18 now he says that violence shall no more be heard in your land this I mean we should have an appreci some appreciation for this today but in the very near future we're going to really realize how what a, what a profound statement this is from Isaiah that the, the amount of desolation that is in these lands Isaiah is saying no more violence shall no more be heard in your land wasting nor destruction within your borders it's over this is going to be a very special land and it's going to be a land full of peace and righteousness and there will never ever be violence here and there'll never be destruction within your borders but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So people are going to come to your gates to praise God. And everything that's happening within your walls is salvation. God has truly acted to save his people. The sun, notice this, the sun shall be no more your light by day. Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto you. But the Lord shall be unto you an everlasting light. So, again, there's going to be darkness everywhere, but God is saying to these people that you don't need the sun anymore to, to be your light by day, and nor the brightness of the moon. You won't need that either. Why? Because the Lord shall be unto you an everlasting light. He's going to be your light forever. And your, and your God, your glory, this, I don't have to mention this, when we were in Revelation, we, we went here, and now here we can go to Revelation. We know that when the new Jerusalem comes, this city, this upgraded city, uh, the city had no need of the sun. The city, not the whole earth, just the city, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Why? For the glory of, the God, of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And notice this. And the nations of them which are saved, so the Gentile nations that repent, and again, God has an order of operations, and it's not just come one, come all, free for all. It's you no, know, he's going to save his people first, and then when he saves his people, he's going to use them as a kingdom of priests that can then help turn the whole world to righteousness. So the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. So they will come and they'll walk in the light of Jerusalem, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. So there's just no night there. Other parts of the world are going to have day and night, but this place is just glorified in God's light continually. And they shall bring the glory of and honor of the nations into it. So there are constantly, it's just this ongoing worship of God and constantly coming up and keeping the feast and keeping the holy days and bringing their offerings into this uh, special piece of real estate. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, i.e. no more Muslims. That Muslims are going to go into Jerusalem, they're going to take it over, they're going to defile it, uh, they want to overtake it and destroy the name of, of Islam, must conquer. Everything, everything has to surrender to Islam. But now God is saying, no more. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination, again, Islam is an abomination to the God of the Bible, 
or makes a lie, and again, Islam is full of lies, and that's part of their doctrine, no more of this. But they which are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there has to be this repentance among these Gentiles in order to come into the holy city in the future. Back to Isaiah 60. The sun shall no more go down, neither shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. This is a tremendous uh, prophecy of Isaiah. And he says, Your people also shall be all righteousness. So the entire people will be righteousness. He says, They shall inherit the land forever. This was always God's plan. And finally, he's, you know, he promised this to Abraham. It was a, an unconditional promise to Abraham. It was a conditional promise with Moses. They broke the condition, so God cannot... Uh, save them through the Mosaic covenant so that's over but at the same time he has this unconditional covenant with Abraham and so therefore there will be this new covenant that will replace this renewed covenant that will replace the Mosaic covenant and then through that renewed covenant of the Mosaic covenant then that through that covenant he'll be able to satisfy the promises that he made to Abraham and so God, God is very specific and very precise in what he's doing in this sort of traditional Christian world where, oh yeah, God used to be the God of the Israelites, but he's done with that now. And then Jesus came with long hair and sandals and, and the whole world can be saved. This is nonsensical. And it's in fact because of this nonsensical view that other religions actually are gaining in credibility. And people are like, yeah, Christianity's nonsense. I think if we take the Bible seriously and preach specifically what is in the Bible, then we will, we will gain far more respect from people who believe the Bible is full of nonsense. And we can show them very specifically and show them prophecies and how these prophecies are unfolding and how nothing can reverse these prophecies. This is how people are driven to real repentance. So your people, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, also shall be all righteous. This is what God's plan is to, to make these people, the head nation and the kingdom of priests. So they'll all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting. This is what God is doing. He's planting this nation and it's going to grow into a mighty nation forever. And so they are the branch of his planting, the work of his hands that I may be glorified. So all of this devastation that we've been reading of in Isaiah this, this persecution of his people, this subjugation, this uh, enslavement and slaughter of his people, it's the work of God's hands. So raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, this is the work of God's hands. He says, I'm doing, he says to Habakkuk, I'm doing this. This has been the work of his hands to produce this nation that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. So again, this light that's shining, that's rising on, on Zion, he says, arise, and, and you don't, they don't arise into their full strength. They're growing into their full strength. When, when, when the, the, the kings and the nations are going to suckle them, you suckle a baby so that it can grow. So Zion's going to be nourished so that it can come into its full strength. And so a little one shall become a thousand, and a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. So God has a lot of zeal, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement about his plan, and he's going to hasten it in the, in the right time. And in all of this context now, 
we come to a very familiar scripture. And we quoted this repeatedly when we were studying the book of Luke. And if you have not um, been with us previously, when we were studying the book of Luke, and the book of Acts, and the book of Revelation, and the book of Hebrews, and the book of Philippians, uh, please uh, access the archive. So if you go on YouTube and search for CGI Digital Network, and just go to the playlists, you'll see all of these studies. Or if you download our app from the iOS store, the Android store, or the Kindle store, uh, if you download the app CGI Digital Network, you'll have access to all these studies. And so when we were studying the Gospel according to Luke, we repeatedly went back to this scripture because God, Christ kicked off his ministry quoting this scripture in Luke 4. <clears throat> and then throughout his ministry, he was fulfilling it. So we now, coming from the previous, from chapter 40 all the way up to 59, so those uh, 20 chapters coming into chapter 61, that's all the context we have now, understanding the plan of God, we now come to 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So this is the Redeemer for Israel. This is the suffering servant. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news unto the meek, those that repent in Jacob. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So there's going to be tremendous suffering. To proclaim liberty to the captives. He's going to gather the captives from the four corners of the earth and the opening of prison of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn so the enemies of God's people are God's enemies and everything that they're doing to the apple of his eye he's going to take vengeance and so the servant is coming to say don't worry God will act and he will act on your behalf and he will establish you there is good news for you and he will comfort you. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. So again, we see now very clearly this is an end time prophecy. And when all of this hatred from the surrounding nations is unleashed on the people of Judah, and Israel in general, but Judah specifically, that we know there's good news that God is going to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion and to give unto them beauty for ashes. So all of that destruction is going to be replaced and uh, Israel's going to get a, a, um, Jerusalem's going to be upgraded and all of the destruction will be replaced by glory. <clears throat> the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or depression that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord. So God is going to plant this nation and it's going to grow into its full glory and that's what they're going to be called. The trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why? That he might be glorified. So when Israel is glorified, God is glorified. Just the same way today, people take exception to Jesus Christ being worshipped. But Christ makes it very clear that when we honor him, we honor the Father. And God wants us to honor him and to worship him. And so in the same way now, when he sets up uh, Israel, the, the kingdom of priests, that there's no way to access God on the earth at this time for Gentiles to access him directly. They have to come through the planting of the Lord, through the kingdom of priests. 
and they shall build the old waste. So all of this destruction, they're going to rebuild it. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities. So all of this is in the context of the Spirit of the Lord has anointed, I've been anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to preach this good news. This is the good news. It's in the context of all of this eschatological destruction. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Again, these are Gentiles, these are Muslims who have uh, been, the whole earth has been filled with this doctrine and they have hated the name of Israel and hated the Jew particularly. And now they shall come and shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. So, so it's going to be very, very clear that, that in order to worship God, we must go through the priests of the Lord. He says, but you shall be named the priest of the Lord. So this great salvation has finally come to Zion and the whole earth acknowledges it. You shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. So, as Christians, let's think about this. So, so we have the Holy Spirit. We are being called to be in God's kingdom. What is this all about? So, we've been reading Isaiah. We've been reading it by, line by line. We're staying in the context of what Isaiah is talking about. Who's the you? Are these Gentile Christians that are now named the priests of the Lord? That just wouldn't make any sense. The whole story flow has been around his people and how his people have forsaken the covenant and how he's driving, he's going to drive them to repentance through a very bitter experience. That it's the people who are subjugated, the people who are destroyed, the people who are enslaved, the people who are scattered to the four corners of the earth. These are the people that shall be named the priests of the Lord. Surely we can acknowledge this. So who are we? Where do we fit in all of this? Well, Isaiah is going to tell us, so let's be patient. But let's not, let's not jump the gun and make the scripture mean something that it's not saying. What it is saying very clearly is these physical people that have been subjugated, humiliated, slaughtered, that they finally come to a true repentance. And when they do, they shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. So all this wealth is being brought to you, and their glory is going to be your glory. And again, let's just go back to the fundamental prophecy. Moses says, you shall be unto me, you, physical people of Israel, shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. So here we see it. You shall be named the priests of the Lord. Moses says, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. So finally we see in Isaiah, this is being fulfilled. He says here, <clears throat> For your shame, so he's going to replace your shame, 
So for your shame, he says, you shall have double. So God is going to replace your shame with glory, and that glory will, will mag be magnified. It will be twice as much glory as it was shame. So these are the people who have been driven to shame. These are the people who have been driven to shame in order to drive them to repentance. Now they're being called the priests of the Lord, and now they're going to have this great glory. And for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. This is where they'll be glorified. When God gathers them from the four corners, puts them in their land, this is where they will possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. God rejects that. So all of this um, plunder and, uh, uh, how, do we, how do we call it, um, the booty, and saying that you know, we, we, we are stealing in order to bring God glory. No. God loves judgment. He hates robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth. This is, a, this is different than the way things have been. And I will direct their work in truth. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. With them. This is, this is who the covenant... Again, we just tie this to Jeremiah 31, 31. And this covenant is, is not with Gentiles and you know, Gentile Christians. This covenant is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And God says it again here. I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with them. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. That's, that's what God is telling us, that their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. So all these people that hated them, everybody's going to know, these are the, these are the priests of God. If you, want to, if you want to worship God, you need to go to these people. If you want to learn about the law of God, you need to go to these people. All that see them shall acknowledge them. So they're, they're going to be a peculiar people. They're going to be raised above all, other, all people of the earth. Why? For all the earth is God's. God does what he wants. All that see them shall acknowledge them. That they, not anybody else, that they are the seed which the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. So now the person, this shifts to a first-person narrative. And this is Zion speaking. These are the people whom God has blessed that have repented, that have received His Holy Spirit, that are being acknowledged as the priest of the earth. They are now collectively saying, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. What, what a turn of events. These stubborn, wicked people who are hypocritical, who have never truly engaged with God as a nation. Now as a nation, they're fulfilling what Moses said, that when you come to this place of true repentance, then your God is going to bless you. And so here they are. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself, with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And again, we see this in Revelation, this marriage language that the, the, uh, in Revelation 19.7, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And so there's here what we're, we're seeing as one reference to marriage, but then we don't actually see the marriage occur 
until Revelation 21, where he sees the new city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. So now the marriage ceremony takes place and God the Father himself comes down to officiate this marriage ceremony, which takes us all the way back to Genesis when God officiated the first wedding ceremony with Adam and Eve. Now the second Adam is Christ and, and, and the church, the converted Jerusalem is the new Eve. Um, so this marriage here in Revelation 19, it's, it's, it's really a betrothal. So the wife is ready and they're betrothed, but the marriage doesn't actually take place until Revelation 21. And so here we see this reference again to the marriage here in Revelation in Isaiah 61. And he says, for as the earth brings forth her bud. So, so here he says, as the earth brings forth her bud. And as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. So that has always been God's intent, that Zion would be the established nation in the earth and the whole earth would acknowledge that God is in Zion. Here he says, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. This is why God can no longer be silent. He has driven the nations to destroy Zion, but now for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burns. And the Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name. And Isaiah doesn't tell us what that new name is going to be, but they will have a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. So these people of God are going to be given a new name, which God says he, he, he himself is going to give them this new name. He says, you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. This is, this is God's intent. This is what God wants for these people. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, neither shall your land any more be termed desolate. So that's the future of these people. But you shall be called Hebzeba, and your land Beulah. Why these names? For the Lord delights in you, that's what Hebzeba means, and your land shall be married. That's what Beulah means. So now we see the marriage of the land. And then Isaiah says, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. So your sons are going to marry you. They're going to come from the four corners of the earth and they're going to be committed to Jerusalem. They're going to be committed. They're, they're, they're going to be in covenant with Jerusalem. So that's the way a young man marries a virgin. And then he says, And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So God, Christ, is going to marry these people. And we see that in Revelation 21. And so we have to be careful about what I'll call Christian arrogance. And Christian arrogance is replacement theology. That God, yeah, he used to work with Israel a long, long time ago in the past, but that's over now. Now, Gentile Christians, we're here, and, and we're Christians, and even Israelite Christians, God has kicked physical Israel to the curb. He's got nothing to do with them anymore. It's all about Christians. And when he comes, he's going to marry Christians and Christians and Christians and Christians. 
and it's all about us. And yet when we read line by line through the prophets, it's all about Zion. It's all about Jerusalem. It's all about this land, this promised land. And it's all about the physical descendants of Jacob. And this is what we see, and we can't avoid. So how do we marry, pardon the pun, the promises to the Christian that we heard directly from Christ with the promises to Israel that we see in the prophets? And we marry, we, we marry this through our understanding of the Holy Days. That, that Pentecost is the first fruits. There's a first fruits harvest. The first fruits harvest is a small harvest, and it points to the future harvest. It points to the fall harvest, which is the huge harvest. And so Christians are being called now as first fruits to help God in the full harvest. And it's not until the whole harvest has been done, has been gathered, that that's when we see in Revelation 21 that God finally marries. And so Christians today, there's no such thing as Gentile Christians. Christians today are grafted in to Israel. So we are Israel. We are first fruits Israel. And so when Christ returns, because we are first fruits Israel, we will be glorified when Christ returns. But we are not the only ones who are going to be glorified. Very clearly, as we're reading these scriptures, God is going to be glorified in Israel forever and ever and ever. So they are the fall harvest. So the spring harvest and the fall harvest are going to come together as Israel, and God will be glorified in Israel we just read this in Revelation. And his light will be in Israel and the people of Israel. And all the nations that are saved are going to come to Israel through the different gates of Jerusalem, the 12 gates. And they're going to come to, be glor to, to, to glorify God. But God will be glorified in Israel forever. And so very clearly he says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. The bridegroom is Christ. The bride is Israel. And he's going to rejoice over not just first fruits Israel, but the whole of Israel. And he's going to rejoice over Israel. And then notice this language. He says, I have set watchmen upon your walls. So we know from Ezekiel 33 that the watchman is to watch for the sword. And when the sword is on the land, he's to cry out and he's to warn. And Isaiah says, cry out, spare not, show the people their sins. And yet we see a different function of the watchman here. He says, I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And so what we see here is the first fruits nation, that God has set watch watchmen upon your walls. So these are the overseers. And we as the first fruits who understand the plan of God, we are now watchmen upon the walls, and we will never hold our peace, day nor night. You that make mention of the Lord, you Christians that are the first fruits harvest, don't hold your peace, day nor night. Keep not silence. And again, this is a completely this is a shift now. First we were, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. And now we've shifted as watchmen who are not holding our peace. You that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. We have a different message now. What's our message now? And give him, that is God, give God no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem 
a praise in the earth. If we are arrogant Christians, if we are self-centered Christians, once we're saved, once we're in the kingdom of God, we don't really care. We don't care about Israel. We're just, hey, we're in the kingdom. We're going to live forever. We're kings and priests. But if we understand the plan of God, we are kings and priests overseeing the kingdom of priests on the earth who are now the fall harvest that we are working with to bring into the family of God, to have them complete the conversion process. And this is our whole heart and soul. That we are not in the kingdom for ourselves. We're in the kingdom for the glory of God. And God has to be glorified in Israel. Or he's not the true God. Because he's already spoken the word that he'll be glorified in Israel forever. And so we will not, we will not give him rest until he establishes and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This is what Christians are doing in the fall harvest. That we are the first fruits harvest in order to help him with the fall harvest. And we are, you know, God says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish the establishment of this eternal and expanding government of God. And we are now possessed with this zeal. We have the same zeal and we want to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And this is where David, I think in Psalm 137, if, if we cannot be in alignment with David, we've got a problem. David says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, then let my right hand forget her cunning. In other words, whatever skill I have that I use to make a living, if I forget Jerusalem, may I be cursed with, with poverty, that I become completely useless and unable to have a living for myself if I forget Jerusalem. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. David understood. He was 120-20 vision as to what God is doing. And if we are to have a, a heart like David, a heart after God, then we're all about Jerusalem. And we're all about, we will not have peace until Jerusalem is established in the earth as the focal point of the whole earth. And that God is glorified in his people. And the whole earth acknowledges and understands this. Nothing else matters more to us than that God is glorified as the Holy One of Israel. So, so here now the Christians are now watchmen overseeing all of this. And they're not giving God any rest until Jerusalem is established. Continuing in the scripture, the Lord has sworn, sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no more give your corn to be meat for your enemies. So that's God was doing that. God was strengthening your enemies. And so as we are in these Israelite nations and we're just seeing how the Israelite nations are being weakened and how the 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 invasions are taking place and the the, the Gentiles are be, it's becoming the time of the Gentiles and they're becoming stronger and stronger. And God's saying, "I'm the one who's doing this." But I'm going to stop. I will no more, he says. I will no more do this. That this, this, this was a temporary phenomenon. He says, Surely I will no more give your corn to be meat for your enemies, and the sons of the stranger shall not drink your wine, for the which you have labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. 
Go through, go through the gates. Prepare you the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say you to the daughter of Zion. Behold, your salvation comes. So listen to this. Behold, the Lord, God, has proclaimed unto the end of the world. To say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them, so everyone's going to call these people, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out as city not forsaken. So a complete reversal of fortune here. So we can expect in the near future devastation upon the people of Israel, devastation on the people of Judah, more specifically devastation on Jerusalem, and uh, this perception that these people are cursed. And then God says, stop, reverse. These are my people. I was the one orchestrating all of this to drive them to true repentance. Now that they've repented, I want everybody to acknowledge these are the holy people. These are the redeemed of the Lord. And you are to call them sought out. Everybody wants to, to be with them, to, to work with them, to, to be taught by them. A city not the opposite of forsaken. And we'll just end in, in a few verses in Psalm 98 as that brings us to the end of Isaiah chapter 62. David writes, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He has remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The beast power has been brought down. The whole earth is now acknowledging who God is and, and where his salvation is. And David says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All the earth, this is a blessing for the whole earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. God meant it when he said to Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is how he is fulfilling that promise to Abraham. What a great, great God we serve. Uh, this is a, uh, takes us up to Isaiah chapter 62. We did have a couple of questions. One was about uh, how we can work with Watchmen. Another was about uh, the calendar. We were going to address them this week. I'm traveling this week. In fact, I'm, as you are listening to this study, God willing, I'm on a plane. I'm going to try to join the chat if I can get access to the internet. Uh, if not, Pastor Murray is planning to be on the chat. But next week, we're planning to have a live Q&A. So we will take up uh, those couple of outstanding questions. If you have any questions about what we've covered this evening, uh, please go back through the study, uh, through the scriptures, and we look forward to answering your questions, God willing, next week. What a mighty God we serve. His salvation is going to be known to the whole earth. We have the blessing of seeing it beforehand and being among the first to proclaim it to the whole world.